Aloha and welcome to another episode of Friday Night Kunani Patrol. I am your host, Mikuni Moonsayak. In this episode, I interview Jordan Sullivan. Jordan is a dietitian that runs the business called The Fight Dietitian that specializes with high performance for combat sports athletes. Jordan and I discuss many topics such as weight cutting in combat sports, business advice, time management, nutrition tips for combat sports athletes, and so much more. Get into the mind of the fight dietitian. Without further ado, let's get started. Friday night, Kunane Patrol. Aloha, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Friday Night Kunani Patrol, the podcast with the goal of creating a community of optimal human beings. I am your host, Mikuni Munsayak, and today's optimal human being calling all the way from Australia is Jordan Sullivan. Jordan, thanks for coming on, bro. And please introduce yourself to the listeners. Pleasure to be on, Cooney. I think this is the, the best podcast name that I've uh, ever heard, ever, ever. But um, yeah, thanks for having me on. My name's uh, Jordan. I'm a dietitian from Australia, as you said. And uh, I run a company called The Fight Dietitian, where we uh, use performance nutrition, specialize with combat sports athletes. So that's pretty much me in a 10 second nutshell. Um, very, very short, but there's so much more that goes into it. So why specifically uh, combat sports for you, Jordan? Uh, man, I, I, I actually grew up playing rugby. Rugby in Australia is a big thing. I actually thought I was going to do that professionally with my career. But um, for those of you, I don't think the webcam really does it justice, but um, I'm a pretty tiny statured human. I'm only five foot seven. And I think when I got to the age of 15, I just stopped growing. My genes just said no more. And then I continued playing. And then when I got up to the higher levels, when I was a bit older, I uh, got some pretty bad injuries. So I had to move away from um, rugby union. And then as a, I think as a natural movement, and a lot of people do this uh, in Australia and New Zealand, we move from kind of rugby and we look, oh, what can we do instead? And we kind of get into martial arts and I got into boxing and really, really got into that and then got into grappling. And then when I finished my... Uh, degree when I finished my master's degree I actually moved over to Canada and spent a few years over there so I went from a um, a scene in Australia where combat sports weren't that huge and then I just went into the crazy spotlights where combat sports in North America like all sports in North America is just crazy and I kind of I, I already was really enjoying martial arts and combat sports but when I got over there and started training over there and meeting people and seeing the how fanatic people were about it. it really made me fall in love with it a lot more and then you know natural progression I had a degree in nutrition so I was talking to the guys I was training with and bouncing ideas back and forth and kind of realized man like nutrition in this field is really lacking behind and then it just led me to you know seeking out knowledge from you know people who were already doing it seeking other teams and it eventually what it all came to was just me thinking wow like I think this is something I could probably do as a business. Like I, I love doing it. I love training. And then, you know what, man, maybe I can make some money out of this. And yeah, one thing just led to another started with a few clients in my own gym that I was training out of. And then, you know, word spreads fast word of mouth. And then, you know, went to another gym and then another gym and then another gym. And then here we are today. And well, when you're good at what you do, word gets around quick, right? <laughs> yeah. Also they say, <laughs> So why, why dietetics or why uh, nutrition specifically? Because man, if I 
when I was in college, if I known that that was a degree that I could have taken, I definitely would have. But uh, why for you? Why nutrition? And that's a good question. And it, to be honest, it's something I've never really thought about probably until recently. I, I, and I always thought, I think, especially as you get a bit older and you kind of coordinate things a bit more and you become a bit more introspective and you think, why, why did it? Like, what, what, why is it that I chose this path? And I was always very into science when I was um, a kid, but I was very into sports as well. It's like a weird balance between like trying not to be too nerdy, like that nerdy kid. <laughs> and then like trying not to be like that, that jockey football guy, you know? So I really love biology and chemistry and I really love the idea of sports science. And I remember when we were, I think we were like 16 and I don't know if they do it where you do it, but they like take you to like a, a big convention center thing with all the universities and they kind of sell mm -hmm. you their mm -hmm. degrees and whatnot. And mm -hmm. I had an idea of what I wanted to do, like sports science, but I didn't really know a lot about it. And I remember talking to a couple of the unis and them explaining to me what sports science was. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then I don't know if it was like fate or I just like started realizing it and recognizing it. Like I remember seeing a Gatorade ad and seeing someone like running on a Gatorade, uh, like at the Institute on a treadmill. And then there was a scientist like taking notes and I was like, man, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. And then as like, I looked in further, the sports science, it, it didn't get as deep into like chemistry, organic chemistry and biology and systems physiology as what I wanted to. And then I looked over and saw sports nutrition there and nutrition, nutrition science. And that's kind of what gravitated me towards that is like, you know, how can I mix the sports world, but I still love, you know, biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, physiology, anatomy. How can I get all of that and still do it in sports? And I just found myself um, doing an exercise and nutrition degree and yeah, man, I, I did that and did that for three years and then was silly enough to go back and do a master's of dietetics. And, you know, I really fell in love with like the clinical side of things. And again, I think it was just that love for science where it's just, I just loved understanding how the human body worked, but I always kind of still had this love for sports. So it was really cool to be able to mesh them. And then, yeah, like I said, then got it, was able to go over to Canada and kind of put it all together and see how it works in the real world. And it was a rough couple couple years with a lot of trial and error, but we got there. But that was basically it. It's an interesting balance you have. Your yin and yang. You got the the nerdy science side, and then the badass. I'll choke you out if you mess with me <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, that's your your individual, your unique yin and yang. So, like with this whole thing, you have uh, the fight dietitian. I mean, that's how I met you. I mean, to be completely honest, I don't really remember how I saw you. It might have been like something on social media. But um, I know that you also have a uh, train aid as well. Is that that's your company, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm a co-founder in train aid. Um, train aid, I think, is just like a natural progression from the fight dietitian. And I think with TFD, we're so lucky that we've grown the client base that we've had. And I've been able to have the experience with such elite level athletes. And like I'll forever be grateful for that because I think we talk to a lot of you know sports nutrition practitioners and they talk about how they work with athletes and blah, blah, blah. And like, there's nothing wrong with say working with like your local soccer club or your local cricket club. But I'm very fortunate that I've been able to see and experience and work with these guys who are at this high level. you know, when you get to hang around people at the UFC performance Institute and see all of this, but it also made me realize that there were still areas that were, were still lacking with these guys. And, and basically the way that the fight dietitian works is we have these six performance principles that we try to embed into all of our athletes. And then train aid is just a natural progression of that. And, and you know, man, you and I probably agree that supplements 
probably aren't your first point of call. Like you've got to get every, get your foundations right, get everything right. But what I was finding is that there were certain areas that for these elite level guys, that it's their full-time job. Like they're literally waking up, they eat their food, they go train and then they go recover and then they go home, they eat food, nap, and then they train again and they go home, eat, go to sleep and just repeat. Like it's a crazy schedule. You kind of need it. And I resisted it for so long. I was like, no, no, just do it all natural, do it all natural. And then I saw, no, you do need a bit of help. Like you do need some help. So train aid is just a, a collection of only about five or six supplements we're going to be bringing out. We just launched our first one, a hydration product. And it pretty much follows those six performance principles that we use with our athletes. And again, man, I'm not pushy with supplements. Like I, like I say with everyone, it's like you get the foundations right. But if you're an athlete and you've got that type of workload, I just wanted to have something that I was confident in that, you know, I knew worked and did what I wanted it to do. And if I was being honest, like the supplement industry is a bit, is a bit funky. And I was always questioning, you know, like I'm working with these guys, if they, they pop and something's not right in that supplement they're taking, like I get a big hefty fine. So I thought, you know what, like, if I'm going to give these guys it, like, why don't we just sit down with a team and get a team of food scientists, like food chemists, and let's formulate our own supplements and let's do it. And like, I'm lucky, like, like I was saying earlier off air, like I've, I'm connected to so many good researchers in the field where it was kind of a cool opportunity where I could be like, hey, these are the areas that I think are lacking for these guys. Let's make, you know, four or five of these supplements and we can use them to just help them get that little bit extra, you know? That's amazing that you're able to bring all those brilliant minds together and, and uh, create this product. That's so you were talking about these six principles. What are these six principles that you uh, preach to your fighters? Yeah, so we have we keep it pretty basic with these guys, man. So so what we say with all of them is that there's six things that if you want to do well and you just want to set your nutritional foundation, the first three everyone will know is carbs, protein, and fat. And what we say to our athletes is for our carbs is that you absolutely need to eat them for if you're going to do combat sports, which is a glycolytic sport, which requires a lot of carbohydrates, you need to be eating them. So we say carbohydrates in and around your training you need to be putting the right fuel into that machine so you can get the most out of your training and more importantly if not more importantly you need to be recovering from that session so putting your carbohydrates in pacing them out through the day so you have energy through those days lots of these guys are doing like we said before two three training sessions a day so if you're eating carbohydrates around your training when you put that in for three training sessions a day that's a lot of carbohydrates you're pretty much eating them all day so getting lots of carbs in Protein, we're big on keeping a consistent protein throughout the day. Uh, you know, you can talk for days and hours about the theory behind protein. And a lot of people, I think, from bodybuilding culture think protein, let's build muscle, blah, blah, blah. Yes, I think it's very important for your muscle. But what we really use it for is muscle maintenance. When a lot of our guys are in that deficit, we want to maintain that lean body mass. And there's good evidence to suggest that, you know, protein is a really good satiety uh chemical right it brings on a really good satiety response so if these guys are in these deficits and then anyone that's dieting knows it's even if you do it right like it's tough it's not it's not the easiest thing to do you know so keeping that constant protein so we can maintain that lean body mass and help them while they're in that deficit and then keep our fats up like fats kind of get ignored i think they get demonized because we've got like the keto and carnivore um ideology that goes around so like a lot of people just demonize fat but we need fats like fats are the backbones of our hormones so we really want to preach to our guys like you got to get them in and there's a certain amount that you've got to get in but and we're not saying like don't go eat fried food and get those types of fats you know we usually say like we're marine and algae based like you know if you can get some good fish and you get some tree nuts and some good oils and make sure we're getting them in 
And then we've got our three, what we call the foundational principles that lay the foundation to make sure that we can get the most out of those foods when we're following the first three. And that's our sleep, stress and water to make sure that you're getting your sleep in seven to eight hours. It's a crazy how so many athletes ignore the importance of sleep, not just athletes. You, you and I know, like, it's not just athletes. So many people, people in business, people with everyday work, like, oh, I'm guilty of it. You're probably guilty of it. Just ignoring your sleep and what the ramifications that can have and how that can impact what your body does with its nutrition issues. So we always say, you know, let's, let's aim seven to nine hours sleep. Let's schedule that in and make it a priority. And then the stress, stress, I think everyone can appreciate, you know, and it's just external and internal stress, you know, getting them in the right position and putting them in, in front of the right people that can help them. We work a lot with breathing coaches. We've got a very, very good breathing coach in Dave Wood in New Zealand that, you know, he helps these guys be able to turn their parasympathetic, parasympathetic tone up to switch off from that sympathetic tone that they sit in all day because they're in fight sports and anyone that's done any type of fight sports training, you know, that, that sympathetic, that sympathetic system is right up. The testosterone is going So being able to dial up that parasympathetic tone is really important and deal with that external and internal stress and then water. And people often forget about talking about water is like 75 to 80% of our body is water, right? So all of these chemical principles and metabolic processes that we're trying to make happen through our nutrition, through our performance nutrition, most of the time they're working in a body of water. So we can't be dehydrated. And it's like people often take away from the importance of hydration because it's just something that you take for, for granted because a lot of the time you don't think about drinking water and you don't even realize you're dehydrated. And that's probably the biggest one where it's not just athletes, everyday people, business people, everyday folk, everyday heroes that are just going about their day that we get the most positive feedback in, in the fastest amount of time. When you start drinking two to three liters of water, they get, all of a sudden they don't have that craving for that 3 PM chocolate or that 3 PM coffee, or they're not like feeling super hungry at lunch or their mental focus is a bit better. And they think like, man, like, what is it that, you know, what's going on? I don't get it. And you're like, you're just hydrating your body. Like your body wants water. It wants to be, you know, putting water in all these places and all these compartments to allow your body to do what it does. And you've just not been doing that for the longest period of time. And now you are. So you've been used to just being at this sub level and now you're probably just back up to normal and you're feeling great. So yeah, they're the, they're the six principles. That's a banging on a bit, but the six foundational principles we go along with all of our guys. So if you guys are listening there and listeners on the other end, those six principles, write them down. Number one are carbs or one, two, and three carbs, protein, and fat. Make sure you guys are taking care of your nutrition. Make sure you guys are getting enough sleep. Make sure you're managing your internal, external stress and get enough water. And Jordy, I got to thank you again, man, because uh, like I was telling you off air, this podcast is inspired by you because of uh, you doing your podcast. And I also have developed my own um, seven I call them seven foundational keys to optimal health. And uh, I, I kind of stole some of your, your, your ideas, but I mean, um, I added a little bit to it. And this is not just for athletes. This is for like just the everyday person. Because I feel like if you want to live your best life, then if you can get these seven things in check, like every single day with every single moment, then you can like, that's the foundation, the starting point. So I kind of want to share them with you. And then uh, I want to hear what you have to say. For sure, for sure. So number one would be functional breathing. Yeah. And uh, I got that because I was listening to your podcast from uh, Dave Wood and Woody's workshop. And then once I went down that rabbit hole, I, I'm still going down and <laughs> I, can't, I can't get enough of it. So number one, functional breathing. 
Number two is mindfulness. Number three would be adequate sleep. Number four would be proper hydration. Number five would be balanced nutrition. Six would be stress management. And seven would be consist consistent exercise. And it's in that hierarchy because I feel like if people can start paying attention to how they're breathing, then that is step one. Then they can bring, bring, bring more mindfulness to their entire body and then start thinking like, okay, am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting hydrated? Am I eating enough? Am I managing my stress? But it all starts, I think, with the breath. And I think you can uh, agree with me, especially with everything that you've been learning as far as breath practice, that um, breath work is powerful. And once you start breathing more functionally through your nose and allowing more oxygenation, I feel that people can start operating at a more optimal state. What do you think? Yeah, 100% agree like it's the foundation of everything right like we often talk about you know nutrition and strength conditioning or all these other things as being like one percent gainers and then you think woody actually said this to me once it's like well breathing is the other 99 percent then because without breath you can't do anything like you can go what you can go what three four weeks without food you can go a couple days without water and you can go probably three, four minutes without your breath. So you need your breath. And not only that, you need to be efficient with how you do it. And then when, like you said, when you start learning about this stuff, you go through a real rabbit hole. And again, I think nutrition is an interesting subject because to get results, like you said, you need to be consistent. Like with everything, you need to be consistent. But with breath work, you almost see results instantly. And I think it, it's within that, that you realize how far away we've gone from how our body wants to breathe. And this is quite literally the foundation of everything. But man, yeah, I like those seven principles. They're completely true. And I think, yeah, breathing underpins all of them, right? Like if you want to be mindful, what do you have to do? You have to control your breath. You have to slow down. You have to be able to slow everything down internally. Sleep, like look how many problems, sleep apnea. We've got, you know, that uh, dysfunctions of your breath, the, you know, choking in your breath and, you know, asthma, things like this, respiratory illness, I couldn't tell you, man, I'm, I'm not going to preach like I'm a medical doctor. And if you have asthma and you have, you need to go get that checked out with your physician and you need to go take your medicine. But I've got countless athletes who I couldn't stand being around. They sound like a bulldog when you're around <laughs> them with how they breathe. And they've pretty much gone off all medication from being able to take control of their breath because they had unfunctional breathing. Yeah, man, sleep, hydration, nutrition, stress exercise like you and i could talk all day about how important breathing is for exercise getting your breathing cadence right and especially when you're transitioning through breathing gears the type of intensity that you have so i really like them man it's good it's uh it's cool i think that's a good fun like foundation right and i think one thing i will add and i think it's important for people to to hear this because i work with a lot of elite level guys right and i think in today's world we're in this world of optimization and I think we have Fitbits, we have Whoop bands and they tell us all this information. And it's like everyone wants to be at the top of the mountain and they want to like battle to get to the top. It's like that, that last little bit is this battle of optimization. You know, can I optimize my sleep? Can I optimize nutrition? And people often forget about these foundational things. And I can tell you that these elite level athletes they're no different than any other person. They're doing these, they're getting these things right. It's the same as like fighting. The best fighters have a great jab. You know, the best jujitsu players have a great guard. It's like those foundational things they get 
absolutely right. And it's as true as it is for like the most elite level athlete, as it is for the most elite level business person, as it is for the most elite level anything. And I think when you're kind of back down to earth and you're everyday folk like you and me, and you're looking up to these people, you're like, man, there must be some crazy secret. There must be some crazy secret source that these guys are doing to get to the top of that mountain and optimize it. Well, no, man, it's those seven principles. They're just nailing them and they're doing it consistently every single day powerful stuff so if you guys are listening man get this stuff in check you guys want to live your best lives you guys want to stop complaining you guys want to do more with your life get these seven things in check because they're foundational it's like because man once i learned about the breath work and how most people are over breathing and the blood vessels are constricted and they're not getting enough oxygenation to their brain that right there was just like the instant click for me like wow people really are just not living their best lives because they're not breathing correctly at all and like you were saying, like you get immediate effects. Like once you start slowing it down, letting the carbon dioxide build up, man, it's like life in, I tell people it's like life in 4D and uh, they don't, mm. they don't, they kind of like laugh at me and they kind of think like I'm a hippie, but man, this whole breath work thing. And just that number one in general, it helps me to start being more aware of these things. Like you're saying every single day. And that's what separates. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but it's what I think separates me from the competitions because I'm making sure I'm aware of these things every single day and I'm understanding how it affects my performance and stuff. So let's segue into like you and working with elite level athletes. Like, how does that feel? Cause I mean, like Izzy just had a fight for a world title and you're doing, you're uh, preparing for these really big, like pay-per-view events with all this hype. How does, how does that feel for you? Yeah. And this is another thing that I guess, like I never really, stopped and sat back and thought about until kind of recently because I guess like you just go and you just go 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 I probably need to follow this a bit more and be more mindful of it and, and slow down but it it is cool it, it's very cool it's very humbling and you know I'm very grateful that these guys give me the opportunity to practice my craft because like we spent years like man I, I kind of briefed over it really quickly but like what TFD is all about and the system we developed is probably five six years in the working and there's been a lot of trial and error and, you know, a lot of behind the scenes research and a lot of like, you know, traveling around here to get certain information and, and, you know, really putting in a lot of effort to develop the system. So I'm very grateful that these guys allow us to, you know, use that with them. And I think that we're seeing good benefits and man, it, it, it is, it's a cool feeling, not so much for the fact that you're like, oh, I get to work with these elite level athletes or, oh my God, I, like, like you said, like it's not tooting your own horn, like, oh, I'm the best, I get to do this. I really enjoy it because what it allows me to do as someone who owns a, a company or, a, you know, a bit of a figure in this space is I can take these guys who are monumental role models, monumental figures like the Israel Adesanya's, like you said, and Alexander Volkanovsky's, people that, you know, you and I and other people in the gym and young kids look up to and I, I can get them to say, hey, look, there's a better way to do this. You don't have to be like doing extreme weight cuts. You don't have to be starving yourself and eating a can of tuna. You don't have to be, you know, dying in a sauna and this be a real terrible process. Like Israel does cool to not do that. So, you know, out of everything that I'm most grateful for, for working with those guys and they've given me so many opportunities and you know, like I'm friends with a lot of them. So it's like, it's, it's a really cool thing. But what I'm most grateful for is that they've given me a platform to kind of spread that message and to make this sport a bit safer for everyone, which was the reason why I started TFD in the first place. So you were talking about extreme weight cuts 
let, let's let's delve into that a little bit. What are some of the worst weight cuts you've ever seen? <laughs> you don't have to name any names. We don't want to name them or anything. <laughs> well, when I was starting out, to be honest, like nowadays, I don't see too much of them. Like I see other people when I'm at like events, like um, I think the Russians are and the Chechens are a bit behind with it still. And they do some pretty bad weight cuts and um, like, China's were bad, but they've got the PI over there now with like Dr. Reed Real. So they're really coming around and they're they're quite good nowadays. But yeah, man, I've seen some some shocking ones. Like I remember early on when I was like following around other teams to kind of figure out what they were doing. I remember like just being seeing these guys like locked in saunas and they're just so depleted. Like I remember this one time we were in in Vegas seeing this, uh, it was a female fighter, man, and she didn't even have that much weight to lose, but because everything was just so mismanaged and there was just, she was so depleted getting to that point, like putting her in the sauna was just like, which I'm not a big fan of the sauna anyway, like she was in the sauna, in, in a sauna suit, so she's just overheating, like passing out, like barely sweating and like in and out of consciousness. And man, it's scary how bad, it can get and like i think people don't appreciate it because like i know for a fact even on that that highest level there's some stuff that happens that doesn't get made public that doesn't get out to the media you know when they're rushing emergency medical teams into these weight cut rooms to resus people who've heart stopped because they've overdone it they've depleted too hard and then they've gone too hard and their water cut they're too dehydrated and their body just physically doesn't have the fluid volume to support pumping blood around their body and it's it's scary stuff, man. Like I've been very fortunate in my career that we've never really had a big one. Like I've done a couple big ones, bro. And, and they were good learning curves. And sometimes it's out of necessity. Like, I think people need to appreciate that, that, you know, some of these guys, the biggest one I've ever done, for example, was a guy that got a call from the UFC and he had three weeks, three weeks. And he was already somewhat to the back end of his career and once I ran all the numbers, I said, man, this is not safe. Like at the end of the day, there's going to be a serious risk to your health. And I'm going to tell you point blank, I wouldn't be surprised if you lost 10 to 20% of your kidney function if you did this and you made this weight. And you know what he said? He said, man, like, I appreciate that. And I thank you. And this is like, I'm coming to you for your advice. And I respect that. But man, this is 20 years of my, you know, 15, 20 years of work for me. Like I've been grinding away like this is this is everything to me and if that means like just this one time or two times or three times like I've got to do this he's like man I, like I've got to do that and I, I'd rather have you look over me and help me do it and, and at least manage it and make it as least and so it, it is it can get really tough and man at the end of the day like I can give them the info and I've got to respect their decision you know and funny enough like with that athlete they did um they made weight and I sent them for follow-ups and funny enough, man, I think it came back as 15% kidney function. And like, we laid it out on the table for them. But at the end of the day, man, like, you, you know, you're an athlete, like you understand like the sacrifice these guys put in and how much they go through to get to that point. And when you're finally there after all those hard years of work and all the sacrifice, you're finally there. And it's just this weight that's stopping you from getting there. Like, so I understand it, man. Like, obviously we don't preach it. I would never, preach anyone to do extreme weight cutting i don't think it's safe i don't think it's necessary i don't think there's really that much advantage you're getting from doing it but man like i have seen it happen but i think we're seeing the sport kind of move away from it where it's becoming less cool or like it's just not as common especially in you know america australia new zealand those types canada you know lots of parts of asia it's just not 
as big as what it was, say, 20 years ago. Well, we definitely have to thank you and your team for that because you guys have been putting out really good information and promoting this whole idea of making things more optimal and not doing these extreme weight cuts. And I mean, ever since I've been following you, I've been enlightened and I just keep trying to spread the good word that you're putting out there to everyone else as much as possible too. So God bless you and your team. <laughs> but I want, oh man, what was I going to ask you? Um, weight cuts. What exactly maybe people who are listening to this who aren't fighters. And I know that you can break this down to the science, like what's happening when fighters are cutting weights, what's physiologically happening and what are these dangers of it, doing it extremely physiologically? Yeah, that's a good question. It's yeah. Good to clear this up and kind of separate this. And I guess um, when people think of weight cutting, I think they all automatically assume like think of a sauna running in a sauna suit, sitting in a hot bath, but there's a bit more to it. So we'll go like right back. So say weight cutting, we kind of break it up into two big phases and a few little phases within those phases and what we call like a fight camp phase. So say Cooney, you take a fight and you go, Hey, Geordie, I've got a fight in eight weeks time. So you're going to spend eight weeks time training for this fight. So you're going to have a fight camp period and I'm going to be able to assess you and say, Hey, Cooney, like I need you to go get a body scan, get me some blood work so I can see how your body's sitting. Like, are you good? Are you healthy? Is there any other deficits that we need to address before we do this? Let's, let's have a look at your diet history, your medical history, training schedule, let's periodize your nutrition, blah, blah, blah. Do all that. I can look at you and assess you and go, Hey, Cooney, you've got this much muscle. You've got this much fat. I think this is the best weight class for you. You've taken a fight at this weight. Okay, that's probably doable. And what we do is we work backwards. You say, hey, Jordi, I want to fight at, let's say, 70 kilos. And then we go, okay, well, I know that I can probably pretty safely manipulate up to about 10% of your body weight from what we call acute weight loss strategies. And then we work backwards. And I go, okay, well, let's say 70 kilos here. If, I, if I'm pretty confident in five to seven days, I can move 10% of your weight safely. Let's say you come into that fight week at 77 kilos. And then I go, Okay, Cooney, like, where are you at now? We need to get to 77 kilos before that fight week, before we do that little phase. And you say, hey, Geordie, I'm at 84 kilos or I'm at 80 kilos, ideally. Like, you're, you're ideally at 80 kilos. And then we say, okay, well, you got 80 kilos and we got eight weeks to get to 77, 76, whatever it is. I go, okay, let's look at that. I get you scanned and I look at your body fat and I go, well, realistically, this is how much we need to lose per week. And then I can start programming your nutrition from that. And that's the foundation of the fight camp phase. So you're losing body fat. You're strategically trying to maintain as much as you can that muscle match. You will lose some. It's like you're just managing that, that muscle loss, but you're trying to lose that body fat to reach that fight week weight. And again, from that, you're, you're layering on principles of performance nutrition, which we can go into later. You know, like I said earlier, the carbohydrates, protein, fat, we can go into all of that. But then when you get to that fight week phase, like I said, you're trying to move non-essential weight. So you're trying to move things attached to water. So you're moving fiber, glycogen, salt. We're manipulating that. And we know from the research, we know from practice that we can do this pretty safely up to 10%. So say if I go Cooney, let's take away a lot of the salt in your diet. Let's you know reduce the carbohydrates in your diet. Let's remove the fiber in your diet. You're probably going to get about four to 6% of your weight is going to come off in those five days. And we get down to this last little part, which is what we call the rapid weight loss phase, which is where everyone associates with weight cutting, which is where you do the water cut. And now the water cut is probably the most risky part because you're moving 
water from these different fluid compartments, depending on how dehydrated you need to make that athlete, right? So what you're doing then is you're trying to move fluid from the closest compartments to your skin without touching the water that's deeper in your body, say in your extracellular space, in your intracellular space. So what we're trying to do then is program. So when we get to that point, Cooney, I don't want you cutting any more than three to 5%. Three to 5%, I can be pretty confident if you've got 24 to 36 hours to rehydrate back in, I can probably strategically put you in a bath and we can do the whole bathing protocol and move, say, three to 5% of your body weight. And then I'll be able to rehydrate you, reload you, and you can go back in as an optimal top level athlete, not as a, a zombie just walking into a cage where you're going to get punched and kicked or dehydrated. So that whole process is what a lot of people call weight cutting although it's broken up into that fight camp phase there's the fight week phase and then the fight week phase is broken into that acute weight loss phase and then the rapid weight loss phase and then we've got the important phase of rehydration reloading which is really the most important one because that's what's getting you ready to go fight and make your money and put dinner on table for your family so we're cutting body fat during the fight week phase and then come the i'm sorry the fight camp phase and then come the fight week we're cutting out fiber glycogen and salt to remove some of that extra weight and then towards the last uh like the day or what was it day before that you do the rapid weight loss yeah yeah morning or day before depending you know personal preference and how much we've got to do so with all of these factors happening what uh have you do you have any studies as far as like what's hap- what happens to the body like short term long term as far as uh negative effects yeah, we've got some interesting studies nowadays, which is um, really good for pra- practitioners like me because we can kind of say to these athletes, hey, look, well, this is what's going on, especially when you look at it from the extreme. And I think there's a good study from Casper, Andy Casper and his team out at a Liverpool, John Moores, that looked at. I don't think this is a secret, so I'm going to say the athlete's name because everyone never like talks about it. But there's a Paddy the Batty who just signed with the UFC when he used to fight at light, uh, featherweight before he went up to lightweight. He uh, took on one of the researchers, uh, Andy, on board to do his nutrition. And Andy like got a team around him and said, hey, this guy's um, going to let us do these tests on him as he goes through. And what they did is they did an observational study, which means the researchers basically sat back. They didn't intervene. They didn't put any nutrition programming. They just sat back, watched what he normally did, and then just measured his body. And what they did is they measured things like his testosterone. They measured things like his resting metabolic rate, you know, his ability, his they did a VO2 max test, which is a, a measure of his aerobic fitness. And then they measured things like cortisol. They measured uh, his, his blood chemistry. So what one thing they were looking at was their blood salts, um, the, the sodium levels in their salt. And what they found is that this guy, it was something like, don't quote me on exact numbers, but he went from, in total, he lost something crazy, like 18% of his body weight over this entire process. But the majority of that was done in that final week. So one, he didn't really know what he was doing to strategically plan that fat loss phase. And he ended up at the fight week and he had some crazy amount, like 14% of his body weight to do. And he ended up cutting in water about 8% or something, but they just sat back, they watched him. And what they saw happen is that all of his blood, like blood chemistry just go down. His testosterone plummeted. His testosterone went absolutely through the floor. His cortisol went through the roof, which is his stress hormone. What's really scary about what they found is that his 
blood salt, so his uh, sodium in his uh, blood, because he was so dehydrated and so fluid volume depleted by going through this process, he was actually classed as a uh, hypernatremic, which means that there's a real high concentration of salt. And what happens when that happens in your body is that you are at risk of going into a seizure, you're at oh, risk shit. of going into a coma, you're at risk of your heart stopping, and you're at risk of dying. And so clinically, he passed that point. And this is the, the crazy thing about it. And that's really the first study where they sat back and they looked at all these things. And then when that study came out, I think there's that saying in, in science that you don't need a study to say the trees are green, but it's kind of nice to get a study to just show everyone, yes, the trees are green. You know what I mean? And it's like, once that study came out, it's like, and I always use that as a reference when we do seminars, it's like, this is bad. Like this process, if you just leave people to their own devices, just to kind of wing this fight camp and then wing their weight cut and wing what they do in fight week and then jump in a sauna for random amounts of time and do these like extreme processes. It's really risky. And once you see this data, you can appreciate why we've had deaths, why we've had deaths in the sport. You know, like just recently we had the, the boxer, the Jordanian boxer on the third day of his tournament, you know, get hit. And, you know, from what I've read and what I've been told is that he was doing pretty hefty weight cuts for the days leading up to that which I would say probably not the sole reason, but contributed quite a lot to that happening. And then in Australia, we had a you know, 16-year-old lady, Jessica Lindsay, who died over in Thailand, attempting to cut weight. We had, we've had wrestlers back in the 90s, three wrestlers who cut weight in the sauna together and all three of them unfortunately passed away. So the thing is, is that when we have studies like this, we can't do that in a lab. We can't, I can't take you Cooney and say, do this because it's so unethical and it's so risky, but an observational study like that is powerful because it allows people like me and you to say, Hey, look, this is what's happening in your body. And, and since then there's been some good ones come out. Like fortunately there's been on the other end of that where guys have done case studies and they've demonstrated Brent, Ben Crichton, is it Ben Crichton or Joe Matthews? I think Joe Matthews from um, England has a really good paper where he documented a Muay Thai athlete that he was working with. And he just put the paper up and he outlined everything that he did. And he kind of went through what we call the gold standard protocol. And he showed like, hey, look, if you do this properly, this is what happens. Like you don't have to do that. You don't have to, you can move a good amount of your weight. You can move 10% of your body weight in that fight week and then say half a percent to 1% in the weeks leading up. And you don't need to get all of these issues. But it's a really interesting topic, man, because right now, and this is kind of getting into the minutiae of it and getting quite deep where, especially at that high level of MMA, we're at a bit of a, a tipping point where we're starting to learn what this is doing to the body and what, why this is happening and why the testosterone are plummeting, why the cortisol are going up, why all you know these liver function tests are going down is because it's in response to what we call relative energy deficiency. So when we get reds, that's a consequence of what we call low energy availability. And what that essentially is, is just you being in a calorie deficit to your body. And when you're not giving your body enough calories, what your body does is goes, oh crap, like we don't have enough calories. So we need to start prioritizing what we're doing with our body. And we need to keep your heart going. We need to keep these organs going. But you'll see this with females when they're on very low calorie diets they'll lose their period because their body doesn't prioritize that because I'm going to keep you alive. The priority is not continuing the human race right now. Let's just keep you alive. And same with men. That's why our testosterone goes down, all these other things. And so we're at this interesting tipping point in combat sports, especially at this high level where, 
how do we manage that? Like, how do we manage LEA with these athletes? Because like I said, I can take you and we can sit down and get a body composition scan. And I can say, hey, Cooney, you can be 10% in that fight week. And then let's say half a percent in the eight weeks leading up, which is 4%. So 14% over your fight weight. And we can get there. But to get there, you're probably going to have to be in this state of LEA at least acutely for those eight weeks because you need to be in a calorie deficit to lose the weight. So where we're at now is thinking, okay, well, how do we manage that? How do we manage knowing that you being in that acute LEA and having these hormonal disturbances? How are we going to manage that in the long term? And we, that's the thing we don't have a lot of data on. The thing we don't have a lot of data on is if these guys are doing these bigger weight cuts and they're doing, say, more than that, they're doing 15 to 20% each camp and they're coming down to lose that weight. They've got to dip into that acute LEA, bring the weight down. And then you'd know this, you fight as well, Cooney. What's everyone do after they fight? They just binge out and eat. Yeah. And there's some good evidence. Um, Dr. Carl Langan Evans, one of my mentors, he's uh, given me so much great advice. And he's just recently released a, a paper about this where they tracked a Taekwondo athlete and they assessed everything. And when we talk about energy in and energy out, it's a, Seems simple, but it's not. Like when you think about what is energy and calories in and then what's energy out, you know, it's neat. It's our digestion. It's planned exercise, unplanned exercise, all these other things that's going on. He pretty much tracked all of that in a Taekwondo athlete. And what he found over the course of six to seven weeks, I think it was, that state of LEA that he was in resulted to get to that weight that they planned and they were doing this by the book, the gold standard book resulted in him being in about 110,000 calorie deficit to his body, which is by the books, by the gold standard book. Right. And so then we look at that and we go, okay, well, a lot of fighters post fight will binge and eat heaps of food. And that kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense that, okay, your body wants to make up. It wants to bring that back to balance. It wants all these hormones working. So it's probably trying to make up, that 100,000 calorie deficit. But what we don't know, what's the effect of that over the long term? What's the effect of doing that? And we go, okay, well, if you're doing that three, four, five times a year, and then you do it for 10 years, like, is there some damage going on? We just don't know. And I think the very obvious thing that people say to that, they go, well, man, just don't cut as much weight. Just don't, don't be in a position where you, where you need to lose weight. And there's that whole thing about the 52 week athlete. And I think that is great in theory, that is great in theory, but what you need to appreciate is that there's good studies now. Chris Kirk from um, England brought out that study where he assessed the California State Athletic Commission. He found that across those five events in Bellator UFC at the highest level, everyone's cutting weight. And pretty much everyone across the board is coming back into the cage two weight classes heavier than what they are contracted to fight at. So if you were fighting at 70, you're probably coming back in at 84, two weight classes up at middleweight. So if you're not doing it and you're not cutting a lot of weight, you've got that size advantage and that whole debate about, oh, does the size advantage exist? And, and you and I can both appreciate if you've ever been punched in the face by someone two weight classes heavier than you, it's plain dangerous. And like, there's this whole thing about, okay, yeah, maybe you don't need to do it. Maybe there's an advantage if you don't do it because you're going to be fresher and blah, blah, blah. But I think we found out and in fact, we found out the hard way, our team, when Israel fought Jan, when Israel Adesanya fought Jan Blakovic, like Israel's that exceptional athlete where the skill level is so high. And we thought, you know what, like the skill level so high, it'll probably offset this size advantage. And at that level, Jan and his team did a fantastic job of nullifying that. 
where they nullified that skill advantage that Israel had and they were able to come up with a game plan. But basically, Jan just enforced his weight on Israel and that's how they got the win. So it's like that argument of, man, just don't cut as much weight. It's like, well, you kind of have to, especially when you get up these level and the skill's so high, you kind of can't give up that much weight. You can't give up two weight classes of weight because you and I both know if there's a guy sitting on your hips and there are two weight classes in front of you and they're a full mount, I don't want those guys' elbows and him raining down punches on me, man. Like, it's going to be hard to get him off him. So it's this really weird time that we're at now where it's like, okay, well, what do we do? What do we do about this? We know, like you said, there's these negative health implications that come from this, but it's almost like it's a trade-off. Well, where do we draw the line? Like, well, what do we do? Because if we don't put them in this, you know, acute LEA, they're going to be too small and they're probably at a disadvantage. And there's a higher chance that if they haven't hit their game plan right, they might lose, which defeats the purpose of this whole thing of them making money and feeding their family. But then we go, well, there's a health side of that. Like, you know, they've got to go home and be a, be a dad. They've got to be a husband. They've got to be a wife, a sister, partner, whatever. And that's the health side of it. So it's this really interesting tipping point that we're at right now in combat sports, especially at this high level where we're like, what do we do? what do we do? And I think right now we're, the answer is we need more research. Like we need more research in it. Hmm. Man, I have so many comments about all the things that you were saying. Uh, one of the things I wanted to tell you is that when, uh, when I watched the Izzy versus Jan Blahovic fight, I thought Jan was going to like snap him in half when he got him in like that uh, double under. I was like, Izzy, no, I thought he was going <laughs> to Jan was huge and he was just like bear hugging him. So that was a trip. And um, the LEA thing, like, I have a lot of, I think I, I was suffering from it myself. Um, I was training without eating enough, under fueling, and um, I was having a hard time sleeping at night because I wasn't down regulating my, my, uh, my central nervous system. And then I was even having like uh, balding, like a lack of mm. uh, loss of hair. And then every time I would go to get a haircut, they were like, oh, sir, that's from stress. And I'm like, what do you mean stress? Like I'm living my best life. Like I'm training twice a day, six days a week. I love my life. Why am I stressed out? And then I realized like I wasn't fueling properly. And then I'm also um, with a lot of my training partners, like they'll come into training after like a hard wrestling or jujitsu session. They're like, oh, I don't feel, I don't feel good today. Or I feel kind of weak. And I'm trying to tell them like, hey, you're not eating enough. And they're like, no, no, no. I ate like what I usually eat. But I'm like, no, like you exerted a lot more energy than you usually do. So you need to replenish those things. Like, can you elaborate on why it's important for people who are training um, combat sports to be aware of their nutrition and what this LEA like does to the body and stuff? Yeah, pretty much what you said, right, man. It's a stress on the body, right? Because calories is that energy. Like calories is just a unit of energy. Like a calorie is just a, a unit of energy that we use to measure that in the body. So it's like, if you don't have enough calories, you don't have enough energy. And then there's this mismatch between what you're doing with your exercise and anyone who does combat sports, it's a huge energy output. Like it's crazy. Like anyone who's done, you know, a Muay Thai class straight into a wrestling class will realize how taxing that is on the body. And it's so, so taxing. You could be burning, you know, close to 1,600 to 2,000 calories. Like that's what people who run a half marathon burn. You know what I mean? You've done that in a, in a couple in a couple hours and, you know, or even a 45 to hour and a half long session, you've burnt that many calories. And then the problem is when you're doing that consistently, you know, two times a day for six, seven days a week, 
it, it just creates this giant offset where you're just not putting in enough energy for what you're exerting. And like I said, it just drives in this huge negative. And yes, you need a negative to lose the weight and do whatever. But like you said, it you start seeing it on your body. Like you get these stresses, people start balding because your body's prioritizing. Okay, I've got such little calories, such little energy here. What's important? Like what's important here? And that's like your testosterone. Like guys lose a lot of sexual libido like it just it just their body doesn't prioritize it just doesn't become important you know their cortisol their stress hormone shoots through the roof they can get digestive issues they can get problems sleeping they can get issues with their heart you know their bone health can go down there's so many things that can happen from just not fueling properly and again it's like this is the real struggle and i think it's probably 50 percent of what you know our job is and if you're in the nutrition space is that counseling and education side where you're trying to convince these guys like, man, you need to eat way more. Like, trust me, you've got the buffering room. Like you're burning this much and you're only eating this much. You can eat up to here and still be in a deficit. Like you, we can't be down here because yes, you're going to continue to lose the weight. Yes. The weight will keep coming off, but you're doing all of these terrible things to your body. And again, like if they're doing this in a sustained chronic fashion, that's really bad. Like that's where really bad things happen. And, and like I said before, in that acute phase where they're kind of like doing this yo-yo thing, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the future. If they do that, I think my hunch is that it's probably not good. It's probably not good. I, I think in my professional opinion, if you're going that far and you're putting that much stress on your system and then you're binge eating and going the complete up, opposite to that, it's probably a stress in itself. That's probably not good over the long term. So yeah, man, essentially what you need to do is find out how to manage that. And like, you can still be in a deficit while not being in a chronic, huge deficit. Like you don't need to be in a huge state of LEA. You can just be sitting up here and you'll still lose weight. Like you'll still lose weight. Your body will give it up. But yeah, man, like I said, that's, that's only 50% of it. Convincing people on how to do that. And, you know, you can get into the psychology of weight loss and, you know, psychology of relationship with food and the relationship with the scale and, yeah, it's a real rabbit hole. We could go down there. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things. Because when I try to tell people like, hey, you need to eat more. And they're like, but I'm not going to be in a calorie deficit if I eat some more. And they're just so concerned about trying to like shut off that extra fat to see their abs or trying to tone their def- their muscles rather than focusing on performance. So maybe you can uh, talk about the, the idea of fueling for performance rather than aesthetic, especially if you are, well, not even just a professional athlete. I feel like all people should fuel for performance rather than aesthetic because it's just a more optimal way to live. Cause if you're just trying to go for the aesthetic, yeah, you might look okay, but how do you feel? How do you perform? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's spot on, man. That's such a good question. A good thing to discuss too, because I think people need to hear that, especially like doing what I do. And I, I've had conversations with my athletes where this plays on their mind too. It's this weird psychology thing where you take someone who's an everyday person and you ask them why they're dieting and they'll probably like pull up a picture of themselves and be like, I'm not happy with it. And you're like, who are you comparing that to? And then say they'll pull up like an athlete, like we work with that and them on a scale and they're super shredded. But what they don't realize is that they're super shredded on that scale for 20 minutes and then they balloon out and they've had to put their body through some serious stuff for the last four, six weeks. And, you know, if they haven't done it properly, they're probably a pretty miserable person to be around for that time period. So I think people have this false sense of what they want to achieve. And, and, and you know what, we can get a whole discussion about that. It's a socio-cultural thing where we, we feel like we need to look like the magazine models. But like you said, I know lots of bodybuilders. I know lots of physique athletes. I know people that go on stage and man, full credit for them. It's a, it's a cool thing. It takes a lot of discipline. 
but the zero performance, like I don't, I don't want to offend anyone saying that, but like, you're not, I'm not saying you're not an athlete. What you're doing is quite athletic, but there's no performance side of standing on stage and posing. But you, what you've done is really cool to get your body there. I think people, because bodybuilding culture and that physique athlete is so in your face, like it's in magazines, it's on social media, it's everywhere. We get this warped vision that that's like an achievable or desirable body type. And it's really not like you talk to those people, 95% of them are miserable. If they maintain that body fat, they have, they're miserable because they have no sex drive. So they're not having sex. So they're just miserable people. They can't hold conversations with people because all they want to talk about is food and everything they're missing out on. Their hormones are all over the place. So their mood is just up and down. So they're not fun to be around. And it's just like, but yet we idolize those type of figures. And like you said, a performance figure doesn't look like that, man. I think, look at guys like Dan Cormier, one of the greatest athletes ever in the UFC, one of the greatest athletes ever and he's just king of the dad bod. And you, and you even look at most top level, like MMA athletes, like there's Sage Northcutt and GSP, but really not many other people look like that. And even like you look at them on the scale and yeah, they look right. But then you look at them when they get back in the cage, they're not that crazy shredded where you're like, oh my God, like they're fit, but they're not crazy shredded. And people like have this idea that they need to be, or if they get to that stage, that's when they'll be happy. And that's how they, that's when they, you know, they'll feel good about themselves. But they're not and they won't perform that's the thing like your body is a very intricate system and when you're talking about combat sports like there's this very specific pathways that our body uses to create energy to allow us to do the sport and like you said when you fuel that properly for performance you're putting in lots of calories yeah you're probably not going to lose as much body fat but far out man like you'll notice such a huge titanic shift in your performance and you see this all the time it's like the first thing that anyone that works with someone who has any lick of knowledge about performance nutrition, the first thing your new client will always say to you is like, man, there's so much food. Can I eat it? Followed up by, oh my God, I can't believe how good I feel at training because now all of a sudden they're putting in the right amounts of food. And it's like, we're not in an aesthetic sport. And that, like you said, it extends to everyone. It extends to regular people at the gym. Like when you fuel for performance, you move away from that. Like that's not the goal. The goal shouldn't be to look like this because really for most people, it's probably unachievable to get like that. And you don't want to get like that anyway. Like, you know, it, I know anyone that's kind of done it and had to go through that. It's not, it's not fun. You don't want to live your life like that. You want to live your life where you go to dinner and like with your friends or family or your partner and you're like, Oh no, I'm going to get a salad. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get a steak and the potatoes because it's not in my macros or I'm not going to have a wine with you. Or my best friend just came home from overseas. I haven't seen him in five years. I'm not going to have a beer with him because it's going to like, like that's not a way to live your life. So, but like you can fit all of that. The thing is, is like when you're doing a physique plan, that's hard to fit all that in. But when you're doing a performance plan, you can make it. So all of that stuff does fit in. It's just a better way to live your life. You know? Amen, sir. Amen. So all you people out there, man, fuel for performance, guys, because I trust me, I've done the whole trying to fuel for the aesthetic thing. And I just I destroyed my body, man, did lots of uh, irreparable damage and trying to keep my body fat that low in order to like make my abs pop out. Uh, I've learned that like low body fat affects your hormones, right? So like my, my sleep, my hunger, my mood, my energy, all my cravings, like they were all out of whack for the longest time. And I just didn't know why. And I think it was because I was trying to keep my body fat way too low. But once I started working with you, man, things really turned around. Uh, I'm really aware of your time, Jordi. Uh, we're about an hour in. How much time you got? <laughs> 
Man, I got time. I, I've got. I don't have a call until about forty-five minutes, so we got time. We can we can keep jamming. Okay, we'll do like another maybe 15, 20 minutes or so. So, um, I was I was talking to one of my friends. He's an old MMA fighter. Uh, he's retired now, and now he suffers from a thyroid condition because I from my from what I've been learning lately, it seems like for my theory at least is that um yeah all this extreme weight cutting done uh, improperly over the years. And now he's having a, a thyroid condition. It's not producing enough thyroid hormone and his weight was fluctuating a lot. Do you think that, um, my theory has some kind of credit truth to it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. It all goes back to what we, you know, just spent the last half hour discussing, right. That, that chronic state of LEA where your body doesn't have the en- enough energy to fuel all of the bodily systems. And, you know, your thyroid is such a massive system in your body. It, it dictates our metabolism, right? So when we downregulate our thyroid, and you see this, when thyroid hormones downregulate, you often see a drop in resting metabolic rate, which is the amount of fuel that your body uses at rest. So, and when you're doing this, when you're when you're in this state of LEA, you're, it's very likely, and you see it happen, where your body doesn't prioritize fueling your thyroid system. So it's very, very possible that your friend or, or your mate has done this chronically in this low energy state. And just for years and years, he just hasn't been giving his body the fuel that it needs, the calories that it needs for that system to work appropriately. And what's happened His metabolism, which is what your thyroid is essentially fueling, has taken a hit. Oh, man, I knew it. I knew there was something to it. <laughs> So it just goes to show you guys that this whole extreme weight cutting thing, like it's not good for longevity. I mean, yeah, it might get you your results that you want acute, but as far as longevity and trying to live a life and be able to have grandkids and tell them about it, it it's probably not going to be beneficial towards that. But uh, let's, uh, let's, let's segue to like the whole business side. So with your um, TFD um, train aid, how did you market all of this? How did you, how do you manage your time getting all, cause I was looking through your Facebook and Instagram and you have so many posts out there and so much good content. It's like, how do you find the time to organize all this? And how did you promote and even get to, uh, well, you said it was word of mouth, right? But um, as far as like other um, business strategies, how did you promote and get your, get your name out there? Yeah, it, it's a funny one, man, because like, if we go back to like your, um, seven principles for a long time there. I wasn't following the sleep one too well. It's like, it's a funny one, man. Like with sleep, especially if we're talking business, like aside from performance nutrition, it's going to be like kind of counterproductive to what I'm saying to what I've been saying this last little bit. But I think when you're running a business, there is a balance. Like, I think you absolutely need to have the sleep. You need to sleep well to think, but on the same time, like it's time on the mats, right? Like the best guys in jujitsu aren't necessarily the most athletic guys are the guys that have spent the most time on the mats. And I think that's definitely true in the business world is that I don't necessarily think like what we did at TFD or what we're doing now or what I've done in the last few years, I don't think we're necessarily like breaking any new areas of science or anything. But what we've done is that we've done enough time in the space where we found what works and what doesn't, where say someone else may just be doing this recreationally, they might have a full-time job and then they commit a couple of hours here and there. Whereas say what I've done, especially those first two years, it was literally 24 seven, like sleeping four hours a night or five hours a night. It's just, that's just what really, when you're trying to get a business going is like, you have to do it. And at the end of the day, man, it's not ideal, but sometimes you just have to like suck it up. And I think 
man, it's, it's completely counterintuitive to what we were just talking about, but at some stage, bro, like you kind of do just have to like, and, and for some people, they just, that's, that's not them. They don't like it. And running a business is really hard. Like it, it's really hard to post social media content every day. And then not just post social media content. Like what I say to my guys is like, don't ever post throwaway content. Like if there's something that someone's scrolling and they look at it and they scroll within two seconds, that's throwaway content. You don't want throwaway content. You want to be posting every single day, something of value, like if we call it a value add. So give, say if Cooney, if you're scrolling through your social media and you see one of my posts, I want you to get something from that post. I want me to give you a piece of information that is useful to you in every single post, you know? So, so I think, and that's hard to do. Like, that's really hard to do. Like, and you have to set amount of time. I think we run an online business, right? So we're in that online space. And if you want to play in that ball game, like if you want to play baseball, you got to pick up a bat and a glove and a ball, right? Like if you want to play in the online space, you have to have social media and you have to have content and you have to have, like, you have to put in your time pitching, you have to put in your time batting practice and, and you have to really trial and error, but man, time management is a big thing. And I think saying that, 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 you know, not sleeping. And I think initially you do have to do that when you're building a business and you're trying to build, you know, a client base and get out there and you're trying to fit hundred thousand things in one. But as you get better and you move along in business, you become way more efficient with your time. Like, I don't know if you guys are very familiar, like the four hour work week was one of the biggest, most influential books that I ever read in my life. And, you know, talking about the 80, 20 rule, and that's completely true in business where, you know, 80% of your results will come from 20% of the work that you do. And then really being able to double down on what that 20% is. And, you know, I think about what my workday looked like three, four years ago, and then what my workday looks like now, like I'm probably doing a fifth of the work, but I'm getting, you know, five times the results type thing, because we've been able to double down consecutively on what's giving us the best results. And it's hard, like business is hard because they don't teach you that at nutrition school. They didn't teach me that at dietitian school. They didn't teach me that ever. Like I've been lucky enough to be around mentors and people that can kind of instill that stuff in you. But yeah, time management is a big thing. Like I think early on, you do need to put in the time, but I think time is your greatest commodity. Time is your greatest commodity. Like money, everyone talks about, okay, I need to make more money. Making money isn't hard. Making money is just a formula. And when you've got a good product and a good formula, you can make a lot of money and it's quite easy but you don't have a lot of time. Everyone has the same amount of time. So how you use that time is really important. So learning how to double down on what's important and being able to be efficient with your time and then going back to the sleep. And this is like a big thing for me is like, okay, how do you double that time down, get the same work done and then still be able to sleep eight hours. That's when you start figuring it all out. And we talk about optimization for, you know, athletes and everyday people trying to be fit. Like, me and one of my mentors always talk about being fit for business. Like you still need to be fit for business. Like waking up every day is like a war zone in business and you need to eat well. You need to sleep well. You need to manage your stress. You need to drink water because you need to be fit for business because business is a battleground in itself. You know, business is a battleground. So you gotta be fit for that as well. That's profound. I think something interesting you said is that um, you were sacrificing sleep at first but as you became more successful with your business, you became more efficient with your time. And I think that kind of the parallels into like how the body, right? Like it exerts a lot of energy at first, but once you start getting better with your exercise, you become more efficient. You end up exerting less calories, correct? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's like anything. It's like, like yeah. jujitsu. Imagine yeah. when, remember when your first couple of lessons and how terrible you were and you just learn to be more efficient with your movement. Same with everything. You learn to be more efficient with how you schedule your time. You learn 
to recognize me and my business partner argue about this all the time, but you learn to recognize what meetings I don't need to be at and what meetings I do need to be at and what, you know, if I'm late for this meeting, I don't really care because I didn't prioritize that. And I've got other things that are going to get me bigger return on that. So you'd learn how to recognize what's going to give you the better return on investment for your time, which is finite, which we only have so much in a day. So you really need to double down and focus. Okay. Like if I'm going to be working, I want to work a normal person job, say eight to 10 hours. What can I do to get the best return of investment for that eight to 10 hours? And then you also said something about posting uh, value ads and not what was the what was the original thing you said two second posts or something yeah not throwaway posts throwaway so like, posts. this is this is something i find um a lot of people in the nutrition space and i find like i talk to a lot of new graduate dietitians about this because if you go into any new graduate dietitian page i guarantee you'll see a post that's like introducing them it's introducing why they got into fitness health and nutrition a little bit about me they'll probably like share with you their favorite recipe. And then they'll tell you like the difference between a nutrition and a dietitian. And all three of those posts, none of them add any value to someone who's reading the social media, which, which is kind of rough, but it, it doesn't add any value. And you can get, if you want to, and I guess a good way to parallel it is like, if you want to get across who you are and why you got into nutrition, I don't really want to hear, Hey, Cooney, you're blah, blah, blah. You studied this, blah, blah, blah show me who you are through the work that you do. Show me who you are through the work that you're doing and the athletes that you're working with or the gen pop people and the changes. Okay, you're really into low energy availability and stocking that on the gym floor at an average gym. I don't really want to see you write about it. I want to see you kind of doing it and showing the results of how you're doing that. You know, So that's the difference between a throwaway that someone's just going to scroll past and then a huge value add they're going to look at and go, oh man, like, oh yeah, like low energy availability. Like, yeah, yeah, you should follow Cooney. He always talks about that stuff, you know? And they make those associations. And when you keep getting value add, value add, value add, value add on top of each other, that's when, you know, you'll talk to someone like we're in a good position now because of how much value we've added for free on our socials. A lot of people, when there's Australia, New Zealand, when they talk about combat sports nutrition, we're the first thing that comes to mind because there's so much value add and it's not so much, I've never... Like I've done some posts with it, but I've never really gone out and, you know, hey man, I've never got someone, hey man, I'm Geordie, I'm, you know, combat sports dietitian, this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. They just know the work that I've done. So they know that that's that person, you know what I mean? So it's the difference between a throwaway bit of information and then a value add. That's powerful. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind and make sure that I show who I am through my work. Yeah, I was looking through a lot of your videos and like you were filming the whole weight cut process and uh, the refueling and it's really, it's really amazing stuff. Do you have like a whole team of people who are helping you with creating these ads and these videos and these posts, or is it usually you, you're the mastermind behind uh, the content? At the start, man, it was me. I had a weird thing when I was going through high school. I've always like loved video, like making content and, and, and video. When I was, I was, I was fortunate enough to be one of the school captains when I was in high school. Oh, wow. I used to do a lot of my speeches through video form and this is this is back a while ago like over a decade ago so um like back then that wasn't like a cool thing there wasn't facebook was just new and it wasn't like a thing to be doing that but i always connected with that type of media and i think you know it's kind of worked in my favor because nowadays you know you got tiktok instagram facebook all these things and it, it's very video based so i think again when you're trying to add value you need to find different mediums how people connect and a big thing is that you need to find the right medium for the message you're trying to give out. If I'm trying to do a very 
serious post, I generally won't do it over video. I'll write a blog about it because I'll be able to engage with more people through a blog and get that emotion and, you know, really sit down and take time to write what I feel about it. Whereas if I want to get a good educational piece out, I'll usually do like video because people are used to engaging with educational content through video. And that's a big reason why we do that, um, the video content there. So at the start, yeah, it was me and one camera guy and uh, I would kind of come up with the ideas and then he would film and help edit. And then since then, I think we've got, oh man, we've got four or five videographers, I think now all over the world, like that, that we work with and um, man, they're, they're epic. Like it's crazy what they can do and just angles they can see, but it's kind of starts with me. Hey, I've got this vision and this is like the whole purpose, right? Like going back, what's the value we want to add with this video. It's not just me showing that I do the weight cuts. It's like, there's always going to be a value add to it, whether it's showing that, Hey, look, this is the process you need to do in the bath or, you know, look, this is how you feed someone after a weigh-in or rehydrate them. There's always got to be a purpose behind it. And then it's just, you know, 2021, you need to be able to make that marketable and you need to make that digestible for people. And video I find is a really good form for that. Whereas, you know, a lot of my educational posts, I'll do infographs and, 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 you know, static posts like that because people can digest that. Whereas in a video, it's like fleeting and the moment's gone. Whereas like you can sit and you can look at a graph and interpret it in your own time and then read the caption and go, okay, like what, what, what's he trying to say here? And am I getting it? You can do that type of education through that medium. And then it's just, like I said before, it's finding what that message is and then finding what's the best medium to put that out. But yeah, I'm lucky. We've got a whole team of videographers, you know, we, we only recently just bought on a marketing team and they're really good. And then I've got the other guys in the team, the other dietitian, always bouncing ideas back and forth. Like it, it's funny, you know, we're, we're a nutrition and dietetics team and like how much time we spend like talking about content creation and doing all this stuff. It's, a, I never would have thought I'd be doing that 10 years ago when, you know, I was going through school. Welcome to 2021, bro. Everything's on the computer and everything yeah, that's is it. all about content creation. So we got to be a part of it. All right. We are an hour and 15 minutes in and I don't want to hold you up any longer. I think we should end it at that. But I got one last question for you just to wrap this up. Jordan Sullivan, what is optimal human performance in your opinion? Yeah, optimal human performance, I think, is different for everyone, right? Like, I think you need to have an innate sense of what that is to you. And I, you know, I spoke about how I like love that, that sciencey side of it. And I actually went up when I was training, went through like that clinical route and I went through in hospitals and I remember working in like the oncology ward. And I remember working alongside physiotherapists and, you know, for someone that's just coming off chemotherapy treatment, you know, just being able to get out of bed and being able to walk, you know, half a lap around the ward that for them, that's optimal human performance, you know, being able to like swallow semi-solid food for them is being able to be is optimal human performance. And I think in today's world, like what we were talking about before, we're so fixated on like this comparison to like these, these unachievable goals. And I think I see this all the time and, and you would have felt it. I would have felt it. We're like, man, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not doing well enough because I'm not like such and such. And I think something that people need to appreciate is like, if your social media feed is like the window to the world that you're looking at, the most powerful thing about that is that you can dictate it. You can dictate what you see. So I think if you want to perform at your best, you want to be the best, whether that's business, whether that's in, you know, training, life, whatever, you need to surround yourself with stuff that's going to fuel that performance. If you want to become a manager at that, like, like power to you, man, if you want to run a hairdressing place and be the best hairdresser in town, 
power to you. I think you need to find out what your own performance is, like find out what your passion is, what your own optimal performance is, and then create an environment where you can do that and don't compare yourself to anyone else. Like everyone's on their own journey. Like I, I hang around with some of the richest people in Australia and I would never want to be on their journey. I would never want to do what they do. You know what I mean? And it's just like, everyone's on their own journey. And it's just like, you define what optimal human performance is for you. Follow Cooney seven principles, set that foundation. And then, yeah, man, surround yourself with the right people. Dictate what you see in social media because we, we spend a lot of time on that and just fuel yourself with the right positive energy from the people around and then fuel your body accordingly. That's beautiful. Every time I ask this question, that's a common trend. They say it's different for everyone. So if you guys are listening to this, you don't have to be a dietitian. You don't have to be cooning, pursuing mixed martial arts. You can find something that works for you and then surround yourself with people that fuel your purpose. Make sure you find that passion. And then another thing you said that was powerful was dictating your social media. Like Personally, I started uh, unfollowing all of like the toxic uh, posts or like people are just posting like ridiculous selfies, anything that doesn't really provide any value to my life. I unfollow or, 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 uh, un- or just block because everything that I want to see, I want it to be educational, inspirational, motivational for myself so that I can be the best version of myself and then also provide value onto people. And yeah, man, you summed it up really well. So Jordy, any uh, last words? Let's... Um, you want to promote your social medias or any anything coming up or any shout outs? Oh. Yeah, I, I was going to say one more thing is that we should rally to get Kunani Patrol t-shirts because I want one. Because I want to Hey, bro, they're coming. They're coming. Let's let's everyone who's listening to that like and subscribe so we can get these <laughs> Kunani t-shirts out. But um, yeah, <laughs> uh, social media, the underscore fight dietitian on uh, Instagram, the fight dietitian on Facebook. Uh, Jordan Sullivan Dietitian on TikTok. We just started that up and uh, Jordan Sullivan on YouTube. We're going to be focusing on those two mediums a bit later in the year. But yeah, if, if anyone wants to chat or has any questions or whatever, you can hit us at uh, info at thefightdietitian.com is our company email and someone will get back to you there. But always open to spread education and, and you know, just talk shop about this stuff. You know, we're very very passionate about spreading, you know, positive awareness and making the sport safer for everyone. And just, you know, like you said, general human optimization is, is we really love it. So if you want to have a chat, just drop us a line. All right, guys, go ahead and follow Jordy. Shoot him a message. If you guys have any further questions, and if you're going to do this weight cut thing, I would definitely recommend you going through him and letting him guide you because we put out a lot of information, but as you notice, it's a lot of information. So if you have someone to properly guide you guys, it'll definitely be a lot better. Jordy, Jordan, I really appreciate your time, bro. Uh, maybe we can have you back on for another episode in the future. For sure, we can wear our matching Kunani patrol yeah, shirts. Yeah, bro. When I get my shirts, you're gonna be the, you're gonna have the first one for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna hold you to that. Thanks, Kuni. That was awesome. Thanks, bro. All right, brother. Aloha, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mikuni Munsayak signing out. Aloha. Mahalo for listening to another episode of Friday Night Kunani Patrol. Feel free to follow my journey at Kunani Patrol on Instagram and Mikuni Munsayak on Facebook. Lastly, if you were motivated, inspired, or learned something new from this podcast, please support this show by clicking the Patreon link in the podcast description. Even just $1 a month would help support this show of creating content to help you all live your best lives. 
This is Mikuni Munsayak signing out. Aloha. Friday night, Kunane.